0: Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Greetings, it's Don Johnson here with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Today we have an interesting guest, not uh, one that we would usually have. Uh he's a fellow that I met online through uh through his blog and then some off blog conversation. And uh we and I, he sent me a book of his he published just a year or so ago, which I've reviewed just uh this week on Proclaim and Defend. And uh the man is Roger Olson, longtime uh professor of theology at Baylor University and prior to that at Bethel uh, College in Minneapolis. And he's had quite an interesting career. I've read numbers of his books. Uh, he comes from a circle of the theological world that isn't exactly the same as ours. Well, it's really actually a bit apart from ours. However, there are some things that he sees and that we see uh, in the same way, his book is called Against Liberal Theology. So from the title, you can see that that would be something that would resonate with those of us who are fundamentalists. Uh, he has uh, his objective is to uh, reach out to people who are drifting away from a uh, more Bible believing background and drifting into uh, uh, affiliation or embracing of liberal theology. So I found the book quite interesting and I wanted to talk to Dr. Olson a little bit more about it, talk about the ideas that are in the book and get a better sense of what he's saying with it. I hope that you find the conversation helpful as I did and I I uh, really appreciate Dr. Olson being willing to sit down with us and have a chat. So before we get into that, I'd like to also remind you that we always are looking for subscribers. So we would uh like to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and uh we would even further encourage you to be a paying subscriber. If you um, if you sign up for pay, you will receive access to the frontline articles that we publish here on the Substack. Uh those uh are connected with the interviews we do with our authors and so uh, we'd encourage you to make uh, use of that. We also, if you want, if you will subscribe for an annual subscription, you get a little bit of a discount on the price and we will also send the, uh, the print magazine to your door. So hope you can take advantage of that. And we're, uh, certainly want to keep encouraging that. That's all that I'll do for a commercial today. And, uh, now, uh, without any further ado, I turn over and, uh, bring, uh, Dr. Olson on for the conversation we had earlier today. All right, well, we want to welcome uh, Roger Olson with us today. He's uh, a longtime Bible professor at various colleges, and I'd like Roger to tell us a little bit about his background, and then we'll get into the purpose of our discussion today.
1: Hi, um, good to be with you, Don. This is Roger Olson, and I'm very happy to be on your podcast uh, by the way, I don't call myself a Bible teacher because I have I had Bible colleagues who would slap me silly for <laughs> allowing anyone to call me that. I'm a theologian. My specialty is historical theology. I study the development of Christian doctrines and uh a special interest of mine is denominations and uh their roots, where they came from and how they're similar and how they're different from each other. Uh, but the whole realm of Christian theology is of deep interest to me. Right. To introduce myself, you know, what, I I don't know what you want me to say except, um, you know, I retired from teaching theology two years ago after 40 years. And, you know, I'm now just enjoying taking care of my grandchildren.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, teaching theology for 40 years, that is quite a career. I know that you were at two institutions, Baylor, I think most recently and at, um, was it Bethel before that? Bethel College, yeah. right. So, so those are not in our orbit. We're, you know, the group that I'm with is, uh, we're fundamentalist Baptists. So we are, you know, uh, we don't usually cross paths in, in certain ways. Um, the only connection I ever had with Bethel College was, um, I was flying from Edmonton down to Bob Jones where I was going to school and my flight took me through Minneapolis and I sat next to a young fellow who was who was heading to Bethel so that was the only time I ever heard of the place before <laughs> at that time. So uh so our connections uh it's interesting but it's I think it's helpful for us to get perspectives from uh people from a sort of a different um experience. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Yeah. So the book that we're going to talk about today I actually I have owned several of your uh b- books i have your big book on uh, the story of christian theology i have it sitting here beside me and uh, a couple other books but the one we're going to talk about is one you published just uh, i guess in 2022 against liberal theology it's called and this is a topic that of course is uh of great interest uh, to us in the fundamentalist world and we, uh, we sort of began out of a conflict with liberal theology back in the 1920s. And, uh, so I, in the book, you do spend a good deal of time defining liberal theology. So I wonder if you could give us a short definition to start with. I'll try. <laughs> That's yeah. Because it took me a whole book. Yeah, I realize. <laughs> to define it.
1: So, um, yeah. To me, <clears throat> as I deal with it in the book and in everyday life and my blog and so forth, liberal theology, uh, first of all, it claims to be Christian. And um I doubt that because of what they don't believe. But it, it's a tradition. It's not just um something that's more progressive than I am, for example. In other words, a lot of people just treat liberal theology as anything I disagree with that seems more progressive than my own beliefs or or unfamiliar or something like that, <clears throat> there are a lot of bad theologies that aren't necessarily liberal theology. Liberal theology is distinct and really stems from German theologian Friedrich Schleiermacher, uh, who died in the early 1800s, uh, one of the founders of the University of Berlin, pastor of a church in Berlin, Um, Many Americans uh, came to know of him in the 19th century and were influenced by him. But even more, uh, though he was really the pace setter of liberal theology, the founder of the tradition, but even more influential was Albrecht Ritzel, another German who came after Schleiermacher but stood on Schleiermacher's shoulders. But Albrecht Ritzel and Schleiermacher and other liberal theologians, and I'm talking about what I would call real liberal theologians, um <clears throat> do not believe that Jesus Christ was uh God. They believe that Jesus Christ was the spirit-filled man or the man with perfect God consciousness, or mm. something else, but merely human ontologically, which means as to his nature, his being, he only had humanity, not deity. But Schleiermacher still thought he believed strongly in the influence in the and the importance of Jesus Christ, the unsurpassability of Jesus Christ. Many uh, many liberal theologians have in the past talked about the unsurpassability of Jesus Christ, but it never reaches to Jesus Christ being God incarnate. In liberal theology, Jesus Christ is different from us in degree, but not in kind. Right, right. The same thing with the Bible. We could say that for liberal theologians, the Bible is different from other great books of religion in degree but not different in kind. So I think it's fair to lump them all together in those two ways and say that they don't believe Jesus was God incarnate, so therefore they don't really believe in the Trinity, though they might talk about three dimensions or manifestations of God or three ways we experience God or something like that. They don't believe in the supernatural in the sense of God actually intersecting with humanity and intervening uh in supernatural ways. So miracles are out for almost all liberal uh theologians. It certainly was for Schleiermacher. He didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And um so those are three ways in which I would uh go about defining it. But I think the best really short definition comes from Claude Welch, a historical theologian at Yale University. He said that uh liberal theology is a theology that gives maximal acknowledgement to the claims of modernity. Right. So modern culture, or we might say postmodern culture today, becomes the supreme authority for what can and cannot be believed.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that that does touch on, and I had mentioned a follow-up question here or have in my list um, about the difference. It has to do with different authorities. And, uh, and really, uh, well, uh, the way I like to formulate, I think in our doctrinal statement at our church, we, we say the Bible is the sole authority. Now some people say ultimate authority and they mean basically the same thing. But uh, maybe you could expand on that because once once people start embrace or allowing for other authorities, the tendency is for those other other authorities, to become higher than the Bible. Right. So one way in which
1: I talk about this issue of authorities is by referring to Wesley's quadrilateral of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And I do think that theology, good Christian theology, is a conversation among those four authorities. But scripture has the primacy so that if there's ever a conflict between scripture and tradition, um, scripture trumps tradition. Right. I like to put that also is that in any controversy about doctrine, um, scripture gets a uh, more than a vote. It's it a veto. Tradition gets a vote, but scripture gets the veto. And I see, you know, uh, experience or reason and experience as helpful in thinking through things that are not clear in theology, filling in the gaps, so to speak, but they don't trump the Bible. Uh, they help us interpret the Bible sometimes, um, but we have to be careful about that, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I think liberal theology is wrong in that it elevates all four of those authorities to equal status, and really brings in modernity as the supreme authority that trumps all else.
0: Yeah, which uh, seems <laughs> to in some, in some cases become what's popular now, right? <laughs> is, is, uh, is the authority that determines the, the current belief system.
1: Yeah. Especially on the grassroots level. Now yes. the theologians I deal with in the book, of course, are scholars. And so they don't really care so much about What's popular right now as what they think is the best of modern thought.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a good corrective. All right. And so, so in contrast to liberal theology, uh, in your book, you do, in each chapter, you sort of summarize orthodoxy briefly in that uh, to lay the, to show what you're contrasting with. So, but maybe we should define orthodoxy. I know you don't mean orthodox with a capital O. Um, But so what do we mean, then, by this term of sort of orthodox Christianity?
1: Yeah, so uh, I talk about a Christian consensus, what uh, Christians have always believed everywhere and at all times. And especially, I would say, the church fathers and the reformers have defined orthodoxy. Though in a way, every individual church, I guess now has to define orthodoxy for itself. But for me, it clearly means, and I explain this in the book and in other books that I've written, it means belief in the deity of Jesus Christ as well as his humanity, um, trinity, uh, salvation is by grace alone, not by, uh, not by works. Uh, even Catholics will say it's by grace alone and he's orthodox, though they, say by faith and works. Um, but by salvation by grace alone rather than by our achievement of uh, sin that, that we need salvation and Jesus Christ is the only Savior. So kind of those basic you know pillars of traditional Christian faith that any any honest person who reads the Bible just has to see that that's what the Bible says. And, or at
0: least implies in a way that can't be denied. Right. So if you can't accept those things, uh, you know, you, you know, there's you can't really call yourself a Christian in terms of Orthodox right. Christianity. Right. I, I, <coughs> go ahead. I was just reading actually this morning. I've been working through this story of Christian theology. It's a massive book, and the pro my I'll have to say my biggest problem is. I can't read it fast cuz I have to think about everything you're saying. <laughs> so, I just finished this morning the chapter on the Cappadocian Fathers which ends with uh the well it was a nice it was a creed that was um, uh modified at the con- uh, council of Constantinople. Yeah. And at the end uh, you said that uh uh the other creeds and confessions of faith were written later. But all of them, in the orthodox, Catholic, and magisterial, or mainline Protestant traditions, are meant to be elaborations and interpretations of this one. It is the universal creed of Christendom. Yes. So so in a way, we could say that orthodoxy, and I guess it doesn't talk about the Bible itself. It talks about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. But orthodoxy would be that creed, plus maybe a, a, a doctrine that God has spoken through his word. And that salvation is by grace alone. I don't right. think we got to that. Yeah, yet. that's right. Yeah, that's
1: right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think the Nicene Creed is a watershed. Um, I, I'm a Baptist and, and an Anabaptist now, Mennonite. And uh, so we don't usually say the Nicene Creed in our church services. Right. It's clear to me when I read conservative Baptist and, and Anabaptist theology that they all, all the theologians, read the Nicene Creed and know what it says. And it, it just sort of stands as a bellwether for conservative
0: Christians of all stripes. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's quite a, you know, that is quite a significant uh, point at which from which once people start departing, then we have start having issues. Mm-hmm. So in your book, you paralleled, uh, your, your work in this book, uh, against liberal theology with, uh, J. Gresham Machen's classic book, Christianity and Liberalism. And you comment that he assumed a much narrower vision of orthodox Christia- Christianity than I have. So, so how would you describe your difference mm-hmm. with Machen?
1: Yeah, I didn't get your. Questions uh, in time to go to my storage locker and dig out Machen's book and, and review it. So I'm going by memory here. You yeah, know, well, I haven't read it in a while either. So we're, yeah. we're So the publisher liked my book partly because it it came out or they brought it out a hundred years. Ah, uh-huh. Machen. So it's like a centenary celebration of Machen's great work, Christianity and Liberalism. Right. Well. You know, I don't think there's anything in Machen's book there that I disagree with, but in in his other writings, we mm-hmm. might there are some things where I would not feel comfortable with his elevating of
0: Calvinism, for example, right. to right. the status of orthodoxy. Yes, and knowing your background, I would I would see that, and I yeah. would I would echo that uh, particular point of view as well. Uh, I mean, that's an it, I, I, I have lots of Calvinist friends and I have some Arminian friends and I find myself arguing with both of them and, uh, but we still call each other brother. At least I, I do, at least to our faces anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you had mentioned and you, you actually just said, uh, uh, the Vincentian canon, which I had to look up. I hadn't actually. Don't recall that I'd heard about it. And you just said uh, it basically says uh, that which the church believed everywhere, uh, always and by all. And so this is this is the common denominator among all Christian groups and what we would call yeah. um, orthodoxy with a small O. That's yep. right. Right. Yep. So uh, somewhere in the book you mentioned. um uh groups holding to the uh to these orthodox doctrines to some extent. And I think you already mentioned a couple of them in our conversation. So the Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, but that was with the qualifier, the way you said that. And then also Reformed Christians and Evangelicals. I think was that the fourth group that you had mentioned in that in that summary? I don't remember. Oh I don't remember. I was trying to find it on the page and and i i couldn't uh couldn't find it quickly either, and it wasn't one of the things that I had noted down so but yeah, anyway so many so many categories, yeah uh,
1: even orthodox Christians there's an endless list almost you that's know?
0: right, it's hard to sum it all up into one yeah. In, into uh, yeah so um all right, so I think I've moved on from that question let's let's uh all right so one of your objectives, or at least I I, I take it in your book as your objective is to uh, is, is to speak to Christian young people who abandon or are attempting, or tempted to abandon their Christian their Orthodox Christian faith in favor of liberal Christianity. Uh you said of them they grew up in fundamentalist churches, found them stifling, anti intellectual, legalistic, whatever, and rushed past the middle ground the opposite end of the Christian spectrum to, uh, to liberal Christianity. Uh, and, uh, I think, well, let me, I want to add something in here, an extra question in here. Uh, have you run across these types of young people throughout the years that you're teaching? Oh,
1: absolutely. Many, many of my students, I've had thousands of students and most right. of them were evangelical in some broad very broad sense though not all today would claim that label right yeah i i have had many students who were raised in conservative protestant homes and churches and even pastors children who mm-hmm. once they got out of that context uh began to not so much question as throw, what I say is throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, they would latch on to something in their upbringing that they thought was abusive or distorted in some way. And instead of uh, looking at the bigger picture of Orthodox Christianity and finding some kind of middle ground, Mm -hmm. what I did, I grew up in a church that was, in my opinion abusive in in certain ways went to a bible college that was abusive but mm-hmm. instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater i recognized that i recognized the difference between the baby and the bathwater and a lot of young people don't okay
0: <laughs> and All so right.
1: my teaching has been aimed at helping them not throw the baby out with the bathwater
0: yeah well I, i've like i've sort of observed this tendency uh, when I was at Bob Jones, there were kids who sort of embraced the, uh, the, the theology and teaching and they're my friends in ministry today. And, but there were other friends who, you know, as soon as they got out of there, they were off, uh, to a school that was, you know, for graduate work that was, you know, sort of to the left. Uh, and then, and then some of them seem to just keep going left. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't stop. All and, right. And and of course some of them have left the faith or at least uh, as far as we can tell from what they say and how they live. So uh, why do why do you think young people make I mean we can't see their hearts but why do they make these kinds of shifts?
1: Well first of all I'm a theologian I'm not a psychologist of religion <laughs> so <Right. laughs> I don't know. Um, I, as you said, I can't read their hearts or even their minds. I can only listen to them, and in almost every case uh in listening to them, I detected a root of bitterness mm-hmm. that the Christianity they grew up in, and it would be this or that or something else. Maybe the church didn't allow women to preach and their you know many of my seminary students were young women right. and called to preach and instead of um you know, being an evangelical woman preacher, <laughs> they would yeah. find a comradeship only with feminist theologians and right. feminist Christians who mostly are liberals, let's face it. I mean, they call yeah. themselves progressive, but liberal theology is very, very common among them. Right. And, uh, you know, the Baptists that I've been a part of and the Pentecostals I grew up with and the Anabaptists that I'm with now are all except women pastors and preachers which I know fundamentalists generally don't but yeah. the hostels I grew up with were you know kind of quasi fundamentalist really
0: yeah
1: know, and, they, and we had women pastors and yeah. so it wasn't you know it's just it's complicated
0: it is complicated yeah well i mean i i grew up in a group that had uh uh it was church of god anderson indiana was the oh, my, yeah. the church i grew up in and and of course they had women uh pastors that was wasn't um so in the in alberta where i grew up it wasn't i don't didn't know of any at the time but some of the young people the girls that you know i met at camp and whatnot went into the ministry and in fact my grandmother's pastor was a girl i had been sweet on when i was in <laughs> in and these uh, uh camps but uh and of course our camp Lives took a different course. And, and in our view as fundamentalists, independent Baptists, you know, women preachers is something, you know, we are, we would not uh, agree with, but, and I can understand how that could motivate a negative reaction. Yeah. Um uh, however, you know, sort of my, I guess my perception is that, like you say, a root of bitterness and it may not, it, there may have been an actual wrong done to them. Yeah. Or it may have been they just, they just wanted to take it wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. There are lots of different
1: motivations, uh, for it. I often saw liberal leaning students carrying around a book by Marcus, uh, uh Borg. Right. A, a leading liberal theologian or John Shelby Spong, or a feminist theologian, uh, Rosemary Ruther or somebody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would try to pull them aside and ask them why they were reading that. I mean, I've read all that too, but, uh, I, I didn't want them to be buying it, you know, the mm-hmm. theology there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, um, it's interesting that you mentioned Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, because my uh, grandmother grew up in the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, oh, okay. and, uh, on the plains of Eastern South Dakota. Wow. And, you know, it was the, when she immigrated from Denmark, she and her family found that was the only church within buggy driving distance in the late 1800s that <laughs> became Church of God, Anderson, Indiana. So I have that in my religious family tree.
0: There you go. Well, you know, those things, and, you know, even, you know, we look back, well, even though I don't agree with uh, Church of God theology, uh, you know, I look back uh, to their history when they were founded, Daniel S. Warner and the, the others that led that group. I mean, they were preaching the Bible. You know, we yeah. would have points we would disagree, but these were Bible men. They were, uh, they were really, uh, were serving the Lord and faithful to what the Bible said. So.
1: Yes, that's true. And you know, I, I have a broad view of evangelicalism and I suspect that there are even evangelical Christians, unfortunately, who stay within mainline liberal Denominations. and My word to them is, with Paul, come out from among them and be separate. Mm-hmm. And, um, they don't, but I still consider them
0: Christians
1: if yeah. they are biblical and orthodox.
0: Yeah, that's right. We had a ministry, and for some years in a, uh, it was basically a seniors' condominium, and they uh, had allowed us to have a service there uh, on Monday nights, and we had a lot of ladies that would come, mostly ladies, a few men. And this one little lady, lovely, and I'm sure the way she talked and listened to the Bible, read her own Bible, I mean, she gave every evidence of being born again, as far as I could tell. But she was in the United Church of Canada, which is about as liberal as you can get. It is <laughs> mm-hmm. way out there. And, uh, and she said to me one time, well, I know my church is bad, but all my friends are there. Yeah. Oh, and, I know exactly yeah.
1: what you're talking about. I've seen that many times. Yeah. People just have trouble tearing themselves away from a church when they have friends there. And <laughs> so yeah. I've had that experience of having to almost drag my wife away from a church where she made really good friends,
0: but yeah.
1: it had gone off the rails right. in the liberal theology or just unethical behavior.
0: Right. Of leaders, and then we would have to leave. When we realized it couldn't really be fixed. Yeah, sometimes there is a cost to make that in making that decision. Yes. Like yes. you had you had mentioned in the book, I think he, that you had attended two different liberal churches or been part of. Yes. And um, I'm I'm just wondering, like when you went, did you realize that's what they were in their theology, or did you? No, okay. no, not at all.
1: They hit it pretty well to outsiders and newcomers to visitors. Yeah. Um, but what happened was that as I left Pentecostalism over the doctrine of speaking in tongues, which I came to no longer believe that is, I didn't believe that speaking in tongues was the, in, the evidence of the infilling of the Holy spirit. I didn't see that in scripture. Right. And uh, so once they knew that the denomination I was raised in asked me to leave, which I realized was the right thing to do. So I, I was in a Baptist seminary at the time and, uh, I just, you know, kind of easily floated into being Baptist. Right. Baptist was American Baptist, the old right. North Baptist convention.
0: Right.
1: And, uh, you know, the, the first American Baptist church I joined was in Houston, Texas. And I didn't really attend very often because I was serving as youth pastor at a Presbyterian church. <laughs> uh, I know. But uh, on Sunday nights, my wife and I attended a charismatic church. So we were we had a lot going on. Man. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, I visited it a few times and realized this is a liberal church. Right. And it, there's no denying it. Um, one Sunday they had two women who were having a dialogue in place of a sermon. It was two women up in front sitting on stools having a dialogue about Hans Kung and his book uh, on being a Christian in German Christ sein on Christ, Christian being. And they loved it, but they disagree some about many of his points. Well, I'm sitting there having read the book and knowing a lot about Hans Kung and thinking, wow, you know that he's a heretic. Yeah. But the, the point that really concerned me was when they said, at the end of the day, what really matters about this church is that you can believe whatever you want to and be a member here. Well, fortunately, I moved away. I didn't have to really break away from that church. We moved. We went to Germany and joined a Southern Baptist church there uh, in Munich and then went to an evangelical American Baptist church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, while I taught for Two terrible years at Oral Roberts University, oh <laughs> but it was an evangelical church, the right. American Baptist Church. There was evangelical, and so when we moved to St. Paul for me to teach at Bethel College, we just automatically looked for the nearest American Baptist church, and it was downtown, and we joined it, and everything was fine, until I began to detect liberal theology in the pastor, and so I had some conversations with him and in my mind there was no doubt that he was liberal theologically as I describe it in the book right and so at, at a certain point I think it was after two or three years we left and joined the
0: Baptist general Conference church Swedish Baptist right yeah yes okay well that's very interesting you know and, and I guess these all these experiences uh, they um they probably shape some of your inquiry Going into this book, that you wanted to uh, sort of define this and to warn people against in a more uh, direct way, I guess. Yeah, and
1: I think it might be interesting to your listeners to know that I held off writing the book until I retired from Baylor University, mm-hmm. uh, because although all of my colleagues in the seminary there—it's called George W. Truett Seminary—were evangelical, um, I, I knew that there were liberals at Baylor University kind of went under the radar professors i mean
0: yeah you
1: know, uh, there's a thousand professors there so inevitably some of them are yeah print in that way and yeah. i didn't want to cause a controversy on campus which it, this book would have
0: yeah yeah if you published it there. then yeah <laughs> yes okay so um all right so then uh, there's uh Oh okay the next question so we're talking about young people who are drifting and they're heading towards uh, uh liberal theology or they uh, they've jumped into it so so what is your objective what are you trying to get these young people to do as you address them and and try to speak to them in this? Yeah I'm trying to get them to stop and look at where the
1: path is leading the path that they're on that they call progressive christianity mhm Way most liberal theologians today call their theology progressive. You know, the word liberal, like yeah. the word conservative, like the word fundamentalist, like the word evangelical, you know, has certain connotations. So, liberal theologians almost all call their theology progressive. But yeah. there's no, there's no such thing as a progressive tradition. It's a very indexical term. In other words, I mean, compa- it has, it's always in comparison to something else. Yeah. Liberal theology is a tradition. Yeah. So, I think that. A lot of what my students were calling uh their progressive Christianity was headed in the direction of liberal theology. Yeah. And I would hear them say things, and this is probably the most common cliché I don't follow Paul, I follow Jesus. Yeah. And to me that's close to the cliff, if not yeah. halfway
0: over the cliff into yeah. liberal yeah when you start saying uh paul and jesus are not together you've got a yeah. problem i think yeah yeah Yeah. and and on that thing about progressive christianity i i had a quote here in the notes uh you had said progressive christianity is not a tradition or a movement or even a real identity it is simply a label used by many different individuals who do not want to be thought of as conservative and who are attracted to social justice issues often to the ne- neglect of evangelism sound doctrine and traditional Christian norms of life and belief and so my question after that is is this where some of the leftward attraction lies like especially these social justice issues that seem to be so inflaming not just Christians but the whole public these days Yeah. is that is that sort of a, a driving factor do you think oh I definitely think so so um Hmm. in
1: in both uh, both bo- both Bethel and Baylor, I discovered that a lot of the students who were progressive in this sense of heading toward liberal theology uh were social work students okay. and for whatever reason, and I'm not blaming any social work pro- professor or anything but somehow in that ethos of social work that they, they latch on to social ethics as the be all and end all of being mm-hmm. christian to the detriment of doctrine right doctrine just kind of falls away right and, and you don't really hear it talked about much
0: right yeah Those so there's so there's no there's no uh, sort of controlling oh, the paraphrase i or there's no controlling uh, theological authority there <laughs> but, right but the um, and also the like that reminds me, like he, uh, back in the fundamentalist modernist controversy, one of the figures that was that the fundamentalists were exercised about was Walter Rauschenbusch and his social gospel in in what became the American Baptist Convention. Right. Uh, so those are very similar traje- trajectories. He was actually there's a big pr- framed
1: um, picture of him on the wall of the seminary that I went to, hmm. and. Uh, Every time I passed that picture, I would think of that. And I appreciate a lot of what Walter Rauschenbusch said. I think he was right in what he affirmed and wrong in what he denied.
0: Right.
1: And that's very often the case with liberal theologians. I can agree with them in what they affirm and disagree with them in what they deny. Right. But also, you know, there's this issue, and I, you didn't bring this up in the questions you sent to me, but In the book, and I think this is probably a stumbling block for some of the readers, I talk about symbolic realism, which is the idea that what really matters in religion is the transforming power of symbols, not history and not what actually happened or didn't happen, not what you believe or don't believe, but the power of symbols Paul Tillich, for example, a German, who I don't talk about much in the book because he really was a German theologian more than an American, and the book is about American liberal theology. But Paul Tillich said that, so here's an example. I agree with him that um, symbols really matter, and a symbol is more than a sign. A symbol participates in the reality that it symbolizes, whereas a sign doesn't. Right. But he went further than that and said that, Whether Jesus Christ ever really existed or not is irrelevant Mm -hmm. to Christianity. What matters is the symbol of a man who lived a life without estrangement from God.
0: Yeah. Well, there we That's the point of departure, isn't it? Well, that's that's. Over the point of time. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, I mean, Jesus is, he's everything, right? (laughs) Yeah. And our life is transformed by him. But if you don't believe he existed, then what are you talking about? Well, let me give you another example. This isn't about liberal
1: theology, but it's it's still enlightening to me. I've been to Brigham Young University three times for dialogue with uh, Latter-day Saints I reverted to my Pentecostalism for a minute there. It's called it Latter Rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And that Latter-day Saints. Right. And they're, they're wonderful people. They're so sweet. And they treated me so kindly and with great hospitality. But at the end of each of those weekends of dialogue, they would kind of corner me and say, now, Roger, do you think we're Christians? <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that's what that's why they would bring me there, I'm sure, they want to be accepted as Christians. Well, so do liberal theologians. But the problem is the liberal theologians are actually embedded in Christian seminaries all over the country. So the Mormons or Latter-day Saints are knocking on the door of evangelicals even and saying, we want in, we want you to accept us as Christians. And So my question to them was, do you believe that Jesus is God? And they would gladly say, yes, absolutely. But I knew it better than to leave it there. My next question was, has he always been God? And they said no. So sometimes to really detect whether someone is orthodox, you ask, you have to ask several questions to get to the bottom of it,
0: to find it, really think. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, in that, in that statement, um, you said they neglect evangelism, sound doctrine and traditional Christian norms of belief in life. Um, so when, when you're talking to young people and trying to call them back to orthodoxy, is there behaviors that, that you think is, is a big part of this as well that now? Yeah. Well, it's really hard to generalize
1: there. Um, behaviors enter in and that they don't usually believe that evangelism and missions is a good thing. Um, There's often a a sour note about missions that the missionaries were colonizers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. So they don't do evangelism or missions in the way you and I think of it. Um, A lot of times there's a broader view of proper human sexuality And Mm -hmm. inclusivism of homosexuals, gays, lesbians, and so forth, Mm -hmm. Um, reaching out to them as fellow Christians and so forth. Yeah. A lack of discernment, I think, is a really important behavior on their part, that that they will have Christian fellowship or or just religious fellowship with even Muslims, for example. Okay. when I was in Waco, Texas, there was a Baptist church that had an interfaith prayer meeting uh, about the war in Iraq or Afghanistan. And uh, a Christian pastor and a Muslim uh, religious leader shared the pulpit and prayed together and so forth. And mm. I told my students, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. We have dialogue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We can't pray together.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can. Yes, yeah, I mean, certainly, we want to talk to people, but we don't. We can We can't. We're not serving the same God, and that that line needs to be clear. So, well, let's see here. I think uh, we're doing better than I thought we would do on all my questions. <laughs> all right. So, in your in your uh, conclusion, you urge readers to find a moderate kind of Christianity between liberalism and fundamentalism. Now. If fundamentalists say well hey wait a minute <laughs> so so a couple of questions here to close this up do you make this appeal because you think that those who have wandered into progressivism would be unwilling to come all the way back to their fundamentalist or conservative heritage and that a moderate position is the next best thing
1: yeah so
0: what I mean by moderate is me <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah we all yeah we all mean that yes <laughs>
1: right so i'm not anti-fundamentalist yeah i i would never write a book against fundamentalism for example right um i i think fundamentalists are my brothers and sisters in christ uh, i even push back against using fundamentalism to describe any other form of religion than christianity it's a form of christianity right. but there are a lot of fundamentalists that that I know who I have problems with because uh, they elevate to the status of a dogma, uh, something like premillennialism, which I don't think belongs there. Right. right. It's not It's not a dogma of being, it's not a hallmark of the Christian faith. I am a premillennialist, always have been, uh, but I don't, it's not a test of fellowship for me. Yeah. Fellowship with a non-premillennialist and
0: most fundamentalists wouldn't. Yeah. In terms of a local church fellowship, I think that's true. Like, like we would organize in organizing our church, we would say, this is, this is what defines us. And if you don't accept this, you can't be a member. Whereas, and some, some churches, I have seen statements where they are, more general well I may maybe more towards the Nicene Creed we believe Jesus is coming again and mm-hmm. they and they mean a bodily return and so that can uh, embrace a, a whole host of positions right. um the problem is I guess if you're going to preach on prophecy in a church then you know if you you're gonna you're gonna take a position and then somebody if they're in there and not of that persuasion, that could cause division in the church. And I guess that would be why we would def- try to define our views a little more precisely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, my own church statement, I wouldn't elevate to say, okay, this is the creed that all Christians must follow or else they're not Christians. I,
1: mm-hmm. I wouldn't
0: say that. The things that I would say somebody has to follow in order to be a Christian be things like, the Nicene Constantinople Creed, uh, Salvation by Faith Alone, Inspiration of the Scriptures, you know, like, it, I mean, well, I mean, people can be fuzzy even on inspiration to a certain extent. They Like, they can, you know, they don't have to define inspiration exactly the way I do. But if they say, you know, God, God didn't speak in the Bible, it was just men, boy, you're getting real close to a bad spot there, I think. No, that's, that's over the cliff. That's yeah. in liberal theology.
1: Yeah. I uh, call it, liberal theologians and, and even progressives often describe the Bible as our sacred stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. not
1: enough. No. No. So fundamentalism, and you and I have gone back and forth about this and you've educated me a lot about fundamentalism, but my other ex- experiences of fundamentalism have, have not been as friendly, let's sent- yes. say.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, let me just say that like there are there are fundamentalists and fundamentalists just yeah. like in every group and there are you know, there are certain churches that would wear that label and uh, I would tend to if I, if I had people moving, I would say, well, don't go to that one. You know, they're not they're not there's areas, they may be fundamental in certain things and agree with me in certain ways, but there's areas where there I feel their emphasis is would be damaging. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: Well let's just say I would much rather a student were a fundamentalist uh, and moved even back to being a fundamentalist than going further in the direction of liberal theology. There you go. Because I think real liberal theology, such as I describe in the book, is not
0: Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that really is the bottom line. I, I, I have written a review for this and, and, uh, I, I'm gonna, I have to review my review, just make sure I've said everything the way I want to say this, but I found the book and I think it's very helpful in terms of defining where liberal theology is today. Uh, when I was in seminary, I took a course called contemporary theology and my professor, uh, uh, Stuart Custer of Bob Jones, he went through, okay, here, he, he would go through these theologians and he'd say on page so and so, he says this, page so and so, he says this. I was reminded of his class when I read this book, because you're dealing with people, I guess sort of more current theologians, a lot of them. And, uh, you're pointing out, okay, here's where they're saying, they're stating their case, mm-hmm. which is not the Bible case. All right but you have
1: to be very discerning as you read them sometimes you have to really catch what they mean yeah. because they'll use the language of christianity but if you are looking carefully you don't even have to look between the lines to see yeah. if they don't mean what the ancient church fathers meant or what any of the reformers meant etc yeah.
0: that,
1: that they mean something entirely different
0: yeah their jesus isn't our jesus it's just no. like with the like with the mormons you know, their right, Jesus clearly right. isn't our Jesus. The liberals, it's a little more subtle, but you do have to you have to realize it's not the same as, as the. They Bible might Bible.
1: talk about the divinity
0: of Jesus, but not right.
1: that he was God incarnate. That's right. Yeah.
0: Well, that's really that's really great. We've worked our way through all my questions, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk about this and to talk about your book. And I hope people find it useful. And, I do uh, too. Thank you for having me. All right. Podcast. Very good. Well, thank you very much. All right. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, that was a very interesting conversation. There are many things that Dr. Olson said that resonate with our point of view. And, uh, certainly, uh, he is concerned about, uh, young people, especially who are abandoning the faith or maybe not exactly directly abandoning, but drifting away uh perhaps without even realizing that they are abandoning the very vital things that make for eternal life. And as I think about what he had to say and the objective of trying to rescue young people who or even you know anybody who's drifting away from orthodoxy, reminded me of the book of Jude, not the famous verse, but right at the end where he says and he urges his readers, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And have some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know, there are people who have, you know, a Christian background of some kind. And for whatever reason, they've decided that either they're angry at the religious background they had or they fee- see some appeal because of the uh the uh, seemingly positive goods that a uh, liberal christians might or so called christians might uh, promote and uh, and they have drifted away and don't even realize what they are drifting away from some of these people obviously aren't born again they need to be evangelized some of them are just confused and uh we do need to do all we can to call them out of their error and i think the uh the idea is of of, of approaching them with compassion is really important uh we certainly want to be separate from the error we don't want to uh fall into such error ourselves we want to uh, point out when others are in error and perhaps we may need to on a church to church basis sometimes we may need to make some dividing lines but for individuals what we want to do is to reach out to them and try to help them and I appreciated that kind of emphasis. I think obviously that our our view would be perhaps stronger in our insistence on the kind of uh, church fellowship that such people should return to but regardless of how we would see it i appreciate the emphasis and the identification of liberalism as another religion it truly is and uh, uh, we need to take a strong stand against it appreciate the conversation i had today with dr olson this has been the proclaim and defend podcast if you enjoyed today's podcast please subscribe and give us a good review If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast.